You know, I was just talking to somebody about Decon. You know, it's funny that you kind of mentioned Decon because First Line Technologies is holding a train the trainer to become the ultimate Decon technician. And we are not talking about a class that is going to be death by PowerPoints. No, they are talking about live demos and real scenarios played by you and your team. So this is an action-packed two-day course that you'll get your hands-on experience with the dynamic duo of Dahlgrens and FiberTech. I promise you Hybrid Decon is an absolute game changer in your company, uh, and you're going to want to set your team on the path to, to success. So take this course. Yeah. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now at FirstLineTech.com slash THMG. And the class starts at December 6th at the First Line Technology headquarters. And by the way, talk about training. Yeah, we should talk about training. You know, like all other trainings then fall into our realm. Oh, and my God. And we could come train you. Yeah, we we I just came back from Halifax and talk about a great delivery not just because it was me, but it was just a great time because we didn't have any boring trainings. When we come to train, everything is designed today. It's fresh. It's taken off of what's happening now. There's no old design a couple of years ago. We just keep dusting it off. Yeah, I mean, Bob was just complaining to me about how long I take to do a PowerPoint. It's just, it's <laughs> we're always doing them, <laughs> and we've partnered with other companies uh, that are bringing props, technologies, devices, and other opportunities to the classroom with us. Yeah, uh, so we we have the best instructors. We don't hire the B team. Just let you know. So if yeah. you're on the B team, don't come calling over here. Yeah, we have the best in the field. Don't let your potential go untapped. Choose us for your training partner and embark on this personal and professional growth journey. Contact us today by visiting the hazmatguys.com slash hire us to reserve your spot and start your transformational training experience today. Excellent. Hey, everybody out, out there in hazmat world land, listening, yeah. listening to us in the car, falling asleep like it's ambient. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> we oh. have uh, so much going on right now. It is really good. It's all good stuff. Well, you know, we I mean, we talked, obviously, it's one of our own reads, but we talk about the training and I cannot I just can't believe uh, the amount of stuff that's coming through, like filling up 2024 already. It's uh, it's very, very exciting. We are so happy to get out there. Our instructors are happy to get out there. Bob just came back from Halifax. Yeah. What did you guys do? We ate ketchup potato chips. You it, wait what? <laughs> yeah, Lay's makes a ketchup flavored potato chips for Canada. It's that's, a Canada thing. That sounds awful. I won't lie yeah. to you. And they're big into dill pickle uh, potato chips too. I saw that on the, on the shelves. I, I so there were two things in Halifax that I wanted to try when I was there a couple of months ago doing doing their training. One, they have a chicken Big Mac that I didn't get a chance to try. Yeah, okay. it's a Big Mac with chicken patties, and I didn't get a chance to have any of the, what do they call it, poutine? Poutine? Oh, uh, poutine, yeah, poutine. yeah, yeah. Poutine, yeah, yeah, yeah. So two things I'll have to, I'll have to do the next time I'm up in Canada. We have uh, quite a few conferences coming up. We have the Connecticut 
uh, Department Instructors Association, the WAMR. We have the New England. We have Ontario. We have Michigan Cold Zone, South Carolina. Those are the ones we committed to. And then we also have ones we haven't finished up, Baltimore, Virginia, Oklahoma, Midwest, and New York State. Yeah. That's a, that's a few. It's that's a, a few. few. It's a few here and there. A smidge. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good stuff. And we have a pretty good episode. Actually, we got another one that's coming up. I just we got to start researching this one out. What's the one that we're, we're uh, researching? I was talking to you before the show. I have to. I have to look up if that is even a thing. Oh yes, yes. No, we we absolutely have to look that one yeah. up. So we will get back to it. But yeah, our topic. Our topic today cylinders. is cylinders, right? Responding to and how to, ter- like, what are the paths? What are the things that we need to think about when we've got a, a cylinder in front of us? So putting you on the path to being a better cylinder technician. I like this because, you know what, when we think of cylinders, first off, just the simplistic term cylinder means I'm taking more than I should and stuffing it into a smaller bottle. Right. It's not like a one to one where I have like a baggy, like a Ziploc. I can just zip it up and that's it where there's no pressure. But in industry, if they want to move more than they should, then they just stuff more in, which means they have more pressure. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so the more they put in, the higher the pressure. What, what were the, I think we did a whole episode on those laws, right? Yes, we yes. did. And so there is two really generic uh, categories, I guess it would be, high pressure and low pressure. Okay. And you can see that. How can we... All right. So this is one of the... It's literally one of the first things that we we talk about when we start a, uh, a class on cylinders, right? We do. We break these down into two categories. So I'm, I'm pulling up on scene and I'm looking at these cylinders. What are the two classifications and how do I tell them right. apart? Right. High pressure... And low pressure. And, and, and in the simplest terms, it comes down to the shoulders. If it looks like a bullet, it's high pressure. And if it has shoulders, like it goes out and then drops down, then it's low pressure. Yeah. And don't kid yourself. Low pressure doesn't mean no pressure, right? No. Low pressure things would be propane tanks, acetylene cylinders. And these things still have a tremendous amount of pressure to them. It's just in comparison to like, you know, the 5,000 PSI bullet shaped ones, it has much lower pressure. Right. Right. So So what else do we have on high or low pressure ones that we don't have on high pressure? We've got welded seams which can be identified as you move a little bit closer, right? The high-pressure cylinder is generally a single piece of stamped metal. So they literally take, without any cutting or anything like that, they take a piece of steel and they stamp basically like a giant cavern in the middle of it and that somehow i don't know how because i'm i'm not an engineer i have no idea how when i first heard that i was like wait they do what i was like no that can't be and then i went to a high pressure cylinder i was like look i'm like this this guy's got to be wrong he can't know what he's talking about i'm looking for the seam nothing it's one single stamped piece uh the low pressure has the welds all the way around and then the other thing that identifies a low versus high is the foot ring Quite often on the bottom of the low pressure, we've got uh, we've got that foot ring. Yeah. Uh, another way that we can help kind of identify them is uh, the color of the cylinder, and that is probably one of the biggest myths going. 
because we absolutely 100%. All right, so I, when I do this in class, right, I turn around and go, I'll, I'll give that exact statement. We cannot identify the color of a cylinder, and then I'll pull out an oxygen cylinder, and I'll go, yeah. guys, what, what is in this? And everyone goes, oxygen. And I go, why? And they go, well, because it's green. And I'm like, Are you, it was nobody just listening to me? Like, like, I just said, you can't tell it by the color. And there you go, telling it by the color to really drive home that point. Yes, uh, oxygen is often green. Acetylene is often maroon. Nitrogen is often black. And carbon dioxide is often gray. But there is no standards or regulations in this country yes. or any other country that can be transferred over to us assessing a cylinder saying that color is definitely that. Right. Absolutely That's, not. Yes. Yeah, so don't don't get the head fake that, oh, it's, it's this because it's that. It, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, even propane cylinders, they're generally white, but we've had them in all different colors. And that's not saying that anybody can't turn around and spray whatever color they want. I've seen oxygen cylinders that have sprayed painted purple because for whatever reason, the people using it wanted to identify purple as the cylinder. No true, no true rhyme or reason. I, I don't <laughs> I, I don't know why. Um, so walking up, right? Another way of trying to identify the product is the labels on the cylinders. They typically provide information about the contents, the name of the gas, possibly a chemical formula, and the hazard associated with that, right? Kind of kind of labels kind of like a small placard. Um, I would take this a little bit more with a grain of salt because I can buy any sticker and just slap it on. Um, and so, but we always feel that way, right? About any of the information that we're going to talk about coming down, uh, and it, 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 we can change what's in the cylinder maliciously. So, you know, we don't always like everything else. We don't go headstrong into a run. We don't go headstrong into a project, turning around thinking we know absolutely one hundred percent what's going on. A perfect right. example of this is, uh, in, or it used to be. I don't think they really do it that much anymore because there's a lot of different other methods now. But when they used to make methamphetamines, they would steal ammonia and put it in propane tanks. Mm -hmm. So just kind of totally, you know, proceed with caution. One of the things you said, and it was a good thing you said there, is that it's very easy to change stickers. Um, but the one that I'm going to bring up is the DOT marking, which are typically stamps. And when I'm talking about stamps, like they're actually putting letters and numbers and markings and, and uh, symbols into the metal. Right. And so Stamped. it's really, yeah, they, they're, and it's not like somebody just takes a little thing and they go ting with their little hammer. It is like really, really pressed into incredibly hard metal because it's holding so much pressure. So when they do this, um, they are pressing in the symbols and sometimes other information that goes about that cylinder, right? Right. So we could actually take that information that we find and, and look it up and it could tell us something about the cylinder. And if you remember from our technician classes, all containers are designed with the chemical and the physical properties of the product that it's holding in mind. Cylinders are no different. The materials that they're made of are going to be compatible with what it was designed to hold. So that information that's stamped on there can tell us a, a lot. Um, and sometimes there's symbols, sometimes there's letters, sometimes there's numbers, uh, and they're quite often kind of put together in such a way where it, it gives us a reading. For example, uh, you could see DOT3AA or DOT 
4BW. The DOT indicates that it's a DOT regulation. And then the code afterwards stands for very specific things where we could very easily look it up. Now, little little trick of the trade. Um, if you can't actually visibly read these stamped markings, mm. for example, the cylinder's been buried. Uh, this thing has seen a ton of corrosion. Take a, a wire brush. And, and wire brush down the, the area where the stamp should be. And then you take a piece of paper and a pencil and you rub the pencil on the piece of paper and your letters are going to, they're, they're just going to come right up uh, off the page and you have your markings. And that's great too, because then you can take that exact piece of paper, walk over to the resource guy and go, look this shit up. <laughs> yeah. So, that, and I've done that a couple of times. It works pretty good. Um, it's going to give you a lot of information. Like it'll have, there's all types of symbology, like uh, stars and, and different, you know, testing guys, symbols and stuff like that. But the, the service pressure is going to be one of the big ones that we've played with. Like it is, you, it is measured in pounds per square inch or megapascals or MPAs, right? Um, and that's going to indicate the maximum pressure at which the cylinder is designed to safely contain its contents. So, for example, DOT 3AA. 1800 indicates the cylinder with a service pressure of 1800 psi yeah other information that's really good on here we can get the manufacturer's name and address now you may sit there and go well who cares who made this but the there's going to be other identifying marks on the cylinder that a manufacturer might be able to give you some information on uh such as who bought the cylinder Right where this cylinder was shipped. So now I have a link to who was the previous owner of the cylinder, or at the very least, the first owner of the cylinder. Right. So if it's going to a, uh, a a CO2 gas supply company, well, I can be pretty sure that there's you know CO2 could potentially be in here. Uh, at the very least, it gives me that next mark to be able to then okay, now I may be able to get a hold directly of the owner of this cylinder. Now, also, you may see this. I can honestly say I don't think I've seen this very often, or at least I wasn't looking for it enough to register. But you very well may see a serial number on the cylinder, right? And some serial cylinders will do that, especially in like I've seen it in oxygen cylinders where like a company or a hospital has, you know, 11 billion of these things and they want to track which ones are going out for service state and stuff like that. So you can have a unique serial number assigned to each cylinder for ID purposes. And this helps, you know, just do the manufacturing history and usage and, and, and lot numbers and whatever. Yep. And, and that allows us to also track if we have the, the actual owner of it. You know, they could turn around and go, well, what serial number you got? Oh, this is what we're using it for. That's a good point. The cereal, the cereal, oh, I'm hungry. The cylinder's material, right? This is, this, it may not seem important, right? Because you're going to go, well, if I have a cylinder that's made of steel versus a cylinder that's made of aluminum, right? Like, like who cares? I'm not really doing anything to the cylinder itself. Uh, and for most part, you're, you're correct. But if we're going to start looking at cylinder assessment where there's damage, uh, you could have a different level of damage in denting and, and deformity 
piece to an aluminum cylinder that you wouldn't that you would see in an aluminum cylinder that you may not see in a steel cylinder because aluminum is much softer. So you may look at two cylinders that look equally damaged, but that steel cylinder is going to see a much larger mechanism of injury or energy of impact because the damage is the same as an aluminum cylinder. So uh, it may not come into play all the time, but during your hazard assessment, understanding what the cylinder is made of is there, and it can generally be represented in that DOT number. For example, uh, aluminum would often be written as like a 3AL. Uh, So things along those lines can help us identify the material. I like that. Um, Special permits. So some cylinders may bear additional markings or labels indicating they are authorized for specific uses under special permits granted by the DOT. So these markings would provide any information about exemptions or special conditions applicable to that cylinder. So like it's not this. I don't want to say it's not designed because it wouldn't be allowed if it wasn't designed. But it's like it's like, all right, this is a special permit because we're doing some weird things. Maybe it's the quantity, the size or the shape that it would have to be exempted from certain regulations. Yeah. Any bit of information that we can get about a product, you know, is good. There are times that all these other markings may not be available and all you have is that DOT special permit. And that kind of will start to give you a guidance as to what's in this thing. Tear weight. The tear weight is the weight of the vessel without anything in it. Totally, totally empty vessel. And that is the weight of the cylinder. Why is this Why is this important to us? I can't tell you how many times we've used the tear weight, especially when yes. assessing propane cylinders. This is used. We actually have a special scale on the rig that comes with us for two purposes. One is to weigh the fat guys in the company. Mm-hmm. And two is to weigh a cylinder because if I have a propane cylinder and it's leaking, the only way for sure that I know that it's empty 100% is to put it on the scale and compare it to its tar weight. If the tar weight and the the actual weight are the same, I know I have an empty cylinder. Otherwise, with things like auto refrigeration, I might have a cylinder that's not leaking at all, not bubbling at all, and still has half product left in there. So the tar weight with your your liquefied uh, products is absolutely critical to know and understand. And that's going to be stamped somewhere on that, that collar. We use this all the time. And I will say our, our scale was accurate to a hundredth of a pound. So it was, and to attest to what Mike was saying about the fat guy, we actually had a fat guy stand on it and then hold a donut. And you can actually see the difference between these holding the donut. It was the scale that we would use for all the fat offs. Yeah, it worked great. It, it was uh, it's a it's a really good scale. So you know what else works really really well, Bob? What's that? Cavcom's communication for challenging environments in independent uh, in, in challenging environments in PPE. Yeah, I am excited. We are doing a uh, a whole talk about this, but Cavcom's new talk through your ears five thousand is the latest two way radio accessory for in suit communication. It's lightweight, it's compact, it requires no batteries because it's powered by your radio and works with any SCBA ensemble. Look at that beauty! This thing freaking kicks ass. I'm not even kidding. This isn't part of the read. Okay, it is no. the clearest communication on the market, and I didn't believe it until they actually sent me one and I plugged it into the sound board and on that special episode you're going to hear all mm. about it yeah so you t- talk through your ears 5000 keeps your required components to a minimum all you need is your radio so go to cavcom's um website 
Check out their oversized push-to-talk control unit and universal fit ear set. It's that simple. Get the best comms on the market. UN markings. Can't talk about enough about them. I, I don't want to talk about them at all. <laughs> you, you and, so, all right, so when we're in technician school, like you, you, everybody's like, you know, you ask everybody, all right, what's 1203 and what's 1993 and what's, and they know what it is. And I'm like, look it up. And there's like eight things. Just remember, well, it's a grouping. It's a grouping. It's a grouping. It's not, that, I'd have to say that's probably one of the most misunderstood things yeah. in hazmat, especially for operations guys, where they're like, yeah. well, 1075, that's propane. I'm like, really? Because it could be butane it could be like there's so many things that land into that 1075 category it's not even funny uh so right. yeah good so it could no it could it could it, it it's usually i will say usually put on the outside of the cylinder because it's an easy one it might be on that little sticker but it will probably be marked with a un number and that indicates the single cylinder complies with un's recommendations for transportation of that good grouping test date stamps all right. Yes. Every these things are high pressure cylinders, even the low pressure cylinders. They, they have testing requirements. Uh, and you may sit there and you go, oh, OK, fat man, what does that mean to me? Right. There's a test date on it. Well, the test date is the last hydrostatic test and it is stamped onto the cylinder there. These testings are done in 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 regular intervals, usually every five to 10 years, depending on the cylinder, the structure and things like that. And you may turn around and you go. What does that, why, why would I care about that? Well, if that cylinder is within its stamp time, five to 10 years, we know that it, we have a very good chance that it might be an active cylinder, right? Something that's being used fairly regularly. If we come across a cylinder and we look at the date that it was manufactured and we, we add up all the stamps to it and we're like, wow, this thing hasn't been like stamped in about four or five decades, then it's a really good chance that that cylinder is very old. It hasn't been touched or played with a lot. And we need to proceed with caution around this thing because it it has the potential. I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, it's going to blow up on you. Um, but we have to understand that it hasn't been tested to do what it's supposed to do. So, yes, you have a higher chance of failure playing around with these cylinders. So if you have a cylinder that's beyond its test date, I'm not saying it's like a bomb. I'm not trying to like, you know, throw the world uh, over, you know, right. on it. Proceed with caution. Yes. And with that test date, somebody did the testing. And so you get this thing called a requalification mark, which is a symbol that indicates that the cylinder has gone through that requalification. And it's necessary for a certain number of years and is specified by regulatory standards. Now, this mark... I will say I've seen quite a few. You'll see maybe a star or you'll see a plus or not a plus. Don't I want to say that because that's actually a symbol that means something. But you'll see like triangle. Actually, if you see one that is like four squares that are marked next to each other, that used to be a swastika and somebody squared off the corners. Yes, that because is a legit pre statement. Yep. Yeah. And so before the DOT was ICC which I, oh man, I don't remember what year it was, but it was like in the 60s or 70s or 80s maybe, where they stopped and went over to DOT and everything prior to that was ICC. And you'll see, if you, if you have some old cylinders, you might see that four square 
And that was a swastika that was changed over to a four box. But Bob, how could a cylinder that was made back in Nazi time period still be in service today? Like, there's got to be some kind of expiration date on these cylinders, isn't there? As long as they keep passing the muster, they keep moving on. That's it. As long as they keep passing. And those Germans built some really solid gas stuff. Yeah. So uh, gas, so you're going to guess, gas valve information, right? So uh, every single product, right? If we if we go back to this, um, that the cylinder is the container and the container is going to be designed around the product, we want to turn around and understand that the valve is going to be the same way. Really good example of this, flammable materials are going to have, you know, opposite threaded valves. We've all heard this. Well, all these different products out there have different classification of valves. And on the valve itself, the information on the valve is going to be stamped on the neck or the collar. This is going to provide information about the details of the valve, and that is going to provide information about a classification of products that this could fall in. So what Mike's saying is if you couple that digit with what the cylinder markings are, the shape, and and possibly the color, you're probably going to get a really good idea of what's inside there, right? Did you just say color? Yeah. The, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I did that as a head fake. All right. So valve stems. <laughs> very smart. <laughs> Valve stems may have markings related to compliance with national and international standards. For example, valves designed and tested to meet a certain standard set by organizations such as the Compressed Gas Association or the CGA. That's what they usually call those numbers is the CGA number may have a corresponding marking. And to be honest, when you see that CGA number, feed it into the Googler and it pretty much is going to tell you what's in the cylinder. Yeah. Now, there's a, a small possibility that that CVA number is not an actual like national standard CVA number. It could be uh, associated specific with a manufacturer or a distributor or even just an organization in general. Uh, it's really, really rare. We don't come across them a lot. But if you can't find like if you Google CVA and you Google the number and it doesn't come up with anything, it's possible that it's kind of a custom valve that is very uh, product and organization specific. Yeah, and for the most accurate and updated information, especially regarding proprietary markings and identifiers, because like Link said, some of these valves are proprietary and special, uh, it is recommended to consult the documentation provided by the cylinder or the valve manufacturer or contact the industry authority or regulatory body. All right, so we have pretty much gone up and down over this cylinder uh, as far as responding and looking at this thing. The next step that we would start to do is actually sampling the gas coming from the cylinder. And there's two trains of thoughts on this. There's a train of thought of I can only get the gas if it's leaking uh, because I never want to actually open the valve of a cylinder. And then there's some people who they don't mind sampling the cylinder and taking a sample from that. I'm going to kind of leave that up to 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 you as the responder, right? It, that's kind of going to be a situationally dependent thing. I'm not going to tell you it's perfectly okay to open up a cylinder. I'm not going to tell you it's not okay to open up the cylinder. Um, but if you are going to try to sample the gases, what are you going to bring to the table for that? And we would do this just like we would any other run. Yeah, Bob. No, I, I'm just thinking. Oh, okay. No, I was, I was thinking exactly that. Like, what am I going to bring? 
So I definitely would bring my primary meters as I would anything else. My primary Perfect. meters can tell me a lot, right? My PID can tell me information. My LEL can tell me information. Uh, and my CO sensor can tell me information. And that's going to be on most of my primary uh, type of meters. Yes, I'm talking about cross sensitivity with the CO. If you don't know about that, we've got plenty of other episodes talking about cross sensitivity and how important the CO meter uh, actually is during most runs. But can that help me identify the product? No, maybe not. But it could certainly put me into or out of different hazard classes. I would additionally throw on that docket the Draeger tubes if you have them. Uh, because they, they if you have the Draeger tubes, you might have that actually adds a lot of capability to your cache. And if you have them and you can focus them, I would say I would say pull them out. Hmm. Yeah, and we've got some advanced meters coming up, and there's newer technologies out there that, you know, five, six years ago, we would not have been able to to talk about this when it comes to cylinder assessment. You've got uh, meters like the Red Wave, the which is the gas FTIR. You've got GCMSs out there. You've got high-pressure mass specs. And uh, even when, we, when we, we've had GCMSs and the high-pressure mass specs for a while, um, you know, the GCMS can be a little bit difficult to use, but can give us absolutely phenomenal nominal information on the breakdown of the product and the high pressure mass spec could be great if that's a target gas you can definitely get a a good pickup right there so we definitely want to use all of our meters in exactly the same way that we would approach any other unknown i would if you're if you're if you're going to one of these cylinders just keep in mind um the likely area where it's going to be leaking and it's probably because the the body of the cylinder is a different metal than the valving is, right? A lot of times the valving is like either brass, which is soft, and it's into an aluminum or a steel uh, container, or it's stainless steel. And so that differential metallurgy um, sometimes actually kind of walks its way out, especially in a fire condition. Like I've been to dozens and dozens of fires where the cylinder's there, and you can just take your fingers and just back the cylinder right out of the cylinder. Yeah. The, the valve out of the cylinder. It, it, it's almost always the leak point in a fire. If we're going to a fire and there was a cylinder involved, it is 99% of the time guaranteed to be leaking from that neck valve connection. Yeah. yeah. So how, how would we start to um how would we start to assess the damage done to a cylinder, Bob? Like what what kinds of things would you be looking at in, in a cylinder, whether it's involved in a fire or maybe uh, the cylinder was in the back of a box truck during a collision? Like how are we going to to address the cylinder walking up to it and, and doing a hazard assessment? I'm I, I'm going to take like a, a, a crawl walk run kind of thing where I'm going to be going up there with my standard four gas meter and everything monitoring my situation monitoring the entire thing. And if I don't have anything when I open the truck, I'm relatively sure that no cylinder in there is leaking. If I get something, okay, now one of these is leaking, but which one? It could be one or it could be 15. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to have to start triaging these things, but I'm going to be relying heavily on not only the meter for a holistic response, but soapy water. Because the sniffer is just going to be fooled by every little burp and right. fart that comes out of everywhere it's like all right leave that thing out let me use my soapy water and start triaging these things quickly and I, that's how i would do it 
Yeah. Uh, some of the things that I would be looking for in a, in a fire or, or even an accident is uh, massive damage done to the body itself, like gouges, abrasions, uh, burn marks, anything that might be weakening the, the metallurgy before I go in and pick these things up. Right. We want to identify which ones are leaking, but we also want to you know, get out any ones that might critically fail uh, or at least identify anything that might critically fail. Uh, we may not want to touch the ones that are in critical condition. We may want to leave those in place and get everything else out of there. Um, another trick to finding leaks, if you have a whole bunch of cylinders, like like Bob is suggesting, is to cover them with bags. Just cover them with a garbage bag. You know, salvage plastic, anything like or that. You even you using it. a thermal imaging camera, because if you're going from a high pressure to a low pressure, you're making the neck very cold. You're gonna or the leak spot, right? If if anywhere that it's leaking, that's gonna be your cold point without a shadow of a doubt. And if we do end up with a leaking cylinder, there's very very little that we can do uh, about this. So, what are some ways that we could contain the leak on the cylinder, Bob? All right. So, I know obviously try before you pry. You try to close the thing up, but sometimes it just is not seating right, and it might be like a metal shaving or. Uh, a piece of dirt, sand, whatever it is. So you might want to pop it open to close it back up, and maybe it'll blow out that debris and and uh, receipt. <laughs> Absolutely. There is not a lot that we can do with the leaking cylinder, guys. Uh, don't even start to break out the putty or, you know, you, you know, jam stuff. A high pressure in the cylinder, it's not going to have any of it. And I would be very wary about things like, um, you know, plugging up pressure relief devices, things that have gone. Like, I don't really like yeah. to touch stuff in general when it comes to cylinders. Uh, the only real good tool that we do have in our toolbox is going to be overpacking them in uh, coffin cylinders. And if you're like many other places in this country, you may not have a coffin uh, in your arsenal. Go and find out where you can find one. I guarantee you have industry somewhere in the area that's going to have some kind of a cylinder. Make a mutual aid response. And I will add one thing to that. The only one we do not put in a coffin is acetylene. Yes. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. That goes boom. So... Facing chemical spills, waste disposal, or environmental challenges, SMR Rapid Response offers expert solutions. You can reach them in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina at 800-248-5816 or smrrapidresponse.net. IEC, Industrial Emergency Council, is a non non Profit led by experts providing diverse emergency response training for 40 plus years. They collaborate with fire departments, public agencies, militaries, and even the private sector. So visit IECtraining.org or call 650 508 9008.